Um, all right, obviously. Uh, so basically, for the for the last twenty days and for the next twenty days, I'm doing this thing where I can't eat. We're not eating fats God. until we're not eating fats until twelve. Okay. I was gonna. I was like, please eat some fats. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. So I just have two pairs. Two pairs. Yeah, man. Nice. What did you have? I didn't. No. And I broke my fast with some halloumi. <laughs> no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's squeaky, squeaky colon. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So what's the deal? Do uh, do I have to edit this or do you? Are you, are you, you man, you send it to me. We'll sort it out. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't edit. I might just... Just let it go? I usually let it go. Yeah? Yeah. But I mean, okay. you can listen and if there's anything. Cool. Yeah. If they, okay. Yeah. Sound. But you're in this too. I don't want to implicate you because I'm now turning into like a, I'm trying to become like a ride or die <laughs> Twitch streamer. <laughs> oh, I respect that. Well, like, I think, I think anyone who's been involved in a long conversation acknowledges that there's like peaks and troughs. Yeah. And that. It, it can almost feel falsified when the conversation is just, oh, yeah, that intense moment. And, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, laughs. And, oh, yeah, that mm-hmm. deep share. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, you know, sometimes it's just you're kind of finding that, yeah. feeling the pulse. Yeah. Okay, let's go back in. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. we got our breath. You know yeah, I mean? totally. But, like, so I was uh, producing a show and the guest was a guitar player or something like that for <laughs> Riverdance. Okay. And he toured with Riverdance for years. Right. And so his job, in his own words, was to come on stage in between the dancing to bring the mood down. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he said. He said they would come on and they would play really like dirge style music, like funeral somber tones, just so that when the dancers came back on, you could hype the place up. That's genius. That's genius, and that is exactly what you just described with conversations. But and you feel it when you're yeah. doing like I got it a two hour one this morning, and you feel you're in that lull. Yeah, and you just let you let it ride out for a while, and then you go, okay. Anyway, so yeah. so this thing here, like yeah. you gotta tell me about this, and then yes. boom, you're straight on it, and then you, you it comes down again. The guitar comes out, you yeah. dirge <laughs> a little bit, and then remember that just pops back in exactly, and it's like trust, right? Because I think maybe if it's recording and it's with a, a guest that you really respect mm-hmm. and you're going, oh, no, here's a few minutes and it hasn't really been like fucking <laughs> nine out of ten just whacking it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Then you're going, oh, Jesus. But if you can just trust that this is this is how it goes, man. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what used to really annoy me about Tim Ferriss? I don't think he's done it for a while. <laughs> but like he always used to say in his intros, oh, and you know, it... it, it just stay with it. It takes James a couple of minutes to warm up here, but he gets there in the end. I'm like, how rude. That's what he says. <laughs> and it was like something, like, it may as well have been someone like Quentin Tarantino. And you're like, <laughs> you can't say that about Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> you're not in a position to say that. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, my goodness. But it does. Like what he said is true. Yeah. But I think it was more so like the the anxiety around that. Yeah. Where, and I get it, but it depends what show you have. If you have a tight NPR style show where you're interviewing Morgan Freeman for three minutes yeah, 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 versus yeah. three hours. You know, you got to hype and cut and mix. and That's fair. So, yeah, I'm not going to be too critical because it, it does depend 
on what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. If it is something like this, yeah, where it's more of like a human interest, yeah. long wind, uh-huh. then I think part of the joy is because you know people are cutting their grass, yeah. they're on the bus, they're on the bus, they're filling their newly built raised beds with horse manure. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It, if it's just intense all the time, it's like listening to like. Do you ever be listening to like really hype music? Say like Kendrick or Kanye, yeah. who we we're just talking about. Yeah. For two hours, and then you just take your headphones out. You're like, I need to stop. Yeah, man. You're like, I need a break from this. Totally. Whereas if it's like that real kind of easygoing, slow three hour meandering conversation, you could be in that all day. Facts. You know? It's nice. Agreed. Agreed, man. And. I think this is actually a, a nice segue into one like aspect that I did want to s- discuss with you about dopamine, right? So, <laughs> so I think that there's a guy I like, and he calls it the brace, the race to the bottom of the brainstem, Oof. right? And I think if if you're in long form conversation like we are, that's fair enough. You don't need to worry about that too much. But do you? Because do you need to get a 30 second video clip or do you need a 30 second audio or do you need some like um, alluring photograph or, you know, some or alluring title mm-hmm. like me and Seb, Seb always gives, gives out shit to me about the titles for my pod, for the podcast because he goes like, nah, man, it's too long. It's too long as if people can't read like a set <laughs> seven words, you know, it needs to be four words. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, Obviously, recently you in- interviewed Mrs. Dopamine. Oh, the and Wizard of Oz herself. Yeah, man. And I'd love for you to kind of maybe give the listeners idea of like why you first came across like learning about dopamine mm-hmm. because and then and then we take it from there. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So I'll say one thing to you first. Okay. <laughs> we talked about Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Let's talk about Joe Rogan yeah. for a second. Because okay. the, the, the complete truthful answer is I first heard about Anna Lemke because I listened to her on Joe Rogan. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you look at Joe Rogan's podcast dynamic, yeah. what's the title? Joe Rogan Experience. What's the title of the episodes? Oh, it's just the person's name. Literally just the person's name. Mm. And have you read a bio recently? Like, you know, in the, the Spotify description, it's basically like, James is from Dublin. <laughs> That's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it was Quentin Tarantino, it'd be like, Quentin Tarantino makes movies. Yeah, it would, yeah. And that's it. So he has stripped all that away. Mm-hmm. And I find that really interesting. And you look at his thumbnails on his videos, what are they? It's literally a random, it's probably what YouTube auto-generated. Or, you know, it's nothing exciting. It's just him and the person. Mm. There's no big PewDiePie style, like big thumbnail with like a shocked face and yeah, you know yeah, yeah, the yeah, Mr. Yeah. Beast style colors yeah, and all that yeah. sort of stuff or capitals like yeah. you're not gonna believe this exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know I'm picking on Tim I, I love Tim I'm only podcasting today because of Tim <laughs> uh, so you know gotta pay gotta pay the Shout respect to Tim. brother his titles are more like uh, James on dopamine extremeness yeah you know, there's a real, like, Mark Zuckerberg on, like, the future of the metaverse and how it's going to change everything versus Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, I saw I saw one as well where it's like, why, insert name, has changed his opinion on saunas, <laughs> you know? And if you have any inclination, you're like, 
geez, I have to click it now. Yeah, yeah. And but don't, do you think that Tim has a responsibility to say, actually, I know about dopamine and I know exactly what I'm doing with this stuff and it's not fair? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, do you use the dark arts for good? Mm. that's really what this conversation this is what yeah. this is about yeah. and we talk about this all the time mm. where is it ethical to use unethical means to achieve an ethical end <sighs> because you know on one side you could have the most amazing interview in the world with Anna Lemke mm -hmm. that you know is going to change lives mm-hmm and has the potential to completely set someone on a new path, mm -hmm. as it did for me. Yeah. And they mightn't click on it unless you give them a title that makes it compelling enough mm. for them to click on it. But then the dilemma, and I haven't, I haven't worked this out at all, okay. then my kind of tension inside is, like, to what extent are you a teetotaler? Mm that's working in a pub <laughs> alcohol i would never touch the stuff it's so unhealthy for you here's the long term and short term yeah. negative benefits of it yeah. um but what, what do you have you haven't guinness or you haven't harp yeah you're too far in it to be saying actually boys you can't do that or we shouldn't really be doing this it's tough mm. it's really tough we can park that yeah, if yeah. you want so i was in germany okay <laughs> and i was listening to Anna Lemke. Why did I click on it? I clicked on it because I trust Joe Rogan. Okay. And as I said to you before, I'm not a huge Joe Rogan fan. Mm. I've listened to maybe three or four episodes in full. I could probably tell. One of them was Quentin Tarantino. Okay. And I clicked on that because it's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Like, I've seen his movies. There's a level of trust there. And I'm like, this is going to be worth my time. Okay. And so for me, it was a natural interest in dopamine that I've picked up because of personal experiences with depression and addiction, combined with seeing the word dopamine hmm. on a Joe Rogan Spotify feed, hmm. and that's why I clicked on it. But the key thing there is it was my own interest okay. in something that I was already on the path for from somebody that I trust to deliver me a good podcast. I get you. If there's a book that I really want to read... Mm -hmm. I now go and I listen to a podcast episode with the author before I read it. It's like a movie trailer. Do you think that's fair, man? Because I, I find some <laughs> some authors aren't that They're good. They're terrible communicators. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah. Of them, they need that time away. Yeah, yeah. But I often think that, you know, a writer's voice is to do with personality. Hmm. And I think that personality, if you're at the stage of the game where you're being on loads of podcasts, mm -hmm. that personality is going to come through. You yeah. will have done the, the, you've gone through the dip, yeah. as Seth Godin talks about, where you've got over your own insecurity, you've got over the sound of your own voice, you're comfortable sitting on mic and just being the way you are, quirks and all. You don't have to be like super compelling and exciting, but if you're comfy with who you are, yeah. then that's where your personality comes through yeah. and that's where I'm like, okay. But if I say, you know, if I Googled, or Spotify'd, Anna Lemke, there's only a handful of podcasters that I would trust to give me a good interview. Interesting. Because I haven't listened to every single podcaster, so yeah. it's usually just the people that you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, Rich Roll, yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, Again, I've, I've maybe only listened to four retro episodes, but I have enough of a flavor for him that I'm like, yeah, I trust you that I'm going to listen to this interview with Anna Lemke and it's going to be impactful. Or it's going to give me the goods. It's going to give me an entree into her world. I get you. That's going to be interesting for I me. You know, you. A good jumping off point. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I listened to the Rogan episode with Anna. I'd never heard of her before, although later on realized that I'd seen her in The Social Dilemma, mm. which I loved, the Netflix doc. And listened to that episode. And it's it's so funny because I think Joe hated that conversation. As in he subsequently said it or you just saw No, like in the moment, like he was like oh. fighting with her and he was disagreeing and he could not swallow the pill that she was offering. And I was like, I swallow that. That's <laughs> all the shit out of that film. Absolutely. I was like, everything this woman is saying feels like it's striking a resonance in my bones. Wow. And when she was talking about how your pain and pleasure balance is totally connected uh-huh. and how dopamine is the chemical that is responsible for all of that. Uh-huh how you feel motivation, what drives your actions, uh-huh. and how the more pleasure you have in your life, basically the weaker you get, for the lack more, of a better term. The more pain you experience. The more pain you experience. You know, she showed me how, and I said this in, in our chat with her, she gave me the logical neuroscience behind the ancient philosophy of the pursuit of pleasure is always the pursuit of pain. Mm-hmm. And you hear this information from Anna Limke, right? And you take mental health very seriously. Like, I don't know if I told you this, right? I think you are the person that I consider the most knowledgeable in and around mental health that doesn't have a doctorate. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) But you soon will have a doctorate beside your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um... You obviously take it very seriously and you live a life in such a way where you can maybe do some things that not everyone can do, but you can do a lot of things and everyone else can do them as well. But when you hear, and I want to expand a little bit on the pleasure praying principle just so like people are getting this right, clearly in their head, but when you hear that, what do you then change about your life? Like, right, this is a profound insight. This is profound information that could really benefit my life. What... How do, how do we see it on the day-to-day? How do I see me actually using my knowledge around the dopamine set, system on the day-to-day? The shortest way to, to get here, I think, is... You ever heard the quote, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every single time? <laughs> or it would, um, I heard George Harrison says, if you don't know where you're going, anywhere will take you there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think, like, most of us live our lives with... No aim. Mm. On the day-to-day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean that in every sense of the word. Like, we just float through life because life's hard and you need space and time and courage to not float. Mm. And if you take your foot off the pedal even for a second, you wake up three months later and you floated. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's the classic, like, you have to swim against the current. Mm. 
and the second you stop, you just get swept back. I don't know why that is, but that's just a universal reality. So I live my life with what some people would call a rule of life. You ever heard that phrase before? A rule of life? Yeah. No. Okay, so back in, say, ancient Greek Roman times. Okay. Do you know what a ruler is? A ruler? Yeah. Like someone who commands a land. The other version of that that you would have had in school? I don't think I... Uh, no. <laughs> like a 30 centimeter long... Uh, uh, the ruler. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I, thought, I, I, thought you, I thought you were talking about... Like, I didn't. I didn't. I, yeah. I didn't set you up too good. My there. bad. My bad. So the word ruler, yeah, in that sense, yeah, sorry, comes from a little stick that they would cut that was straight mm. to help grapes grow on a straight line. Okay, grow up the ruler like a sunflower stick. Yeah, you need a little bamboo cane that you know your granny grew sunflowers around. Yeah, so that was a rule. And that helped the grapes get off the ground, get more sun, get away from the pests, uh-huh. get away from drowning, get away from all sorts of stuff, elevate themselves, grow and thrive and whatever. So that was called a rule. And monks uh-huh. around that time uh-huh. saw that uh-huh. and they developed a thing called a rule of life. And rule of life is a set of practices right. that help you get yourself out of the dirt get more sun, set yourself up in a place ah, like that. that gives you a better, the best possible chance to flourish, wow. if I can use flowery language like that. I like that. And so a rule of life is just a fancy way of saying it's living life on purpose. It's living life with a set of intentionalities across everything. You know, what you eat, the habits you have, how you spend your time, the way you invest relationships, what type of work you're involved in. And it can start super small. Mm -hmm. Another way to think about it is, is we talk a lot in the mental health business I'm involved in of developing a mental health treatment plan, a personalized plan Mm -hmm. for you to give yourself the best chance of overcoming wherever you find yourself on the mental health spectrum. So depression is something that I've, been walking with for say 15 years mm-hmm. from a very very young age around the age of 11 and because of the pain and the suffering that was in my life like it was painful enough that it gave me the motivation to change or at least the the, the desire to change yeah. and I think as humans we often need it- to be pushed over the line before we do anything about it So I often talk about that's the gift that I've been given with my depression is it regularly puts me in a position where it's too painful for me not to change. And that is a, it's an awful reminder, but it's a, it's a a very effective reminder to stop floating and you need to get back swimming. So that's the gift of my curse, if that makes sense. Man, it's so funny you mentioned this, man. This is really strange. How we know each other through Dr. Steve. Shout out to Dr. Steve. Represent. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed, when we interviewed Dr. Steve last summer, I had just come off this interview with a guy called Charles Eisenstein. And he talks about how depression is actually, in many cases, a sign of health. Damn. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the body. It's the deeper part of you saying, 
you need to change something. Ooh. This is this is this is not helping you. Do you know Jim's Car- Jim Carrey's quote on this? He says, "Depression is your body telling you it's tired of the avatar you're playing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, and but that kind of that kind of stuff you don't hear very often, though, no. I- around mental health. Yeah, because it's tough, right? Yeah, you can you can talk about getting up early in the morning uh-huh. and the cold shower, but it's a lot harder to go. Well, maybe 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 it is this. Yeah, maybe there is a deeper part of me that just wants to live in more coherence. Yeah. Um. And then, like, so I agree with everything you've said. Uh-huh. And then, it could also be you just have crazy information on your brain. Yeah. You know, and it's complicated because you can't you can't take a depression test and it'll tell you dee, 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 you have type four. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's intertwined and it's intermingled, and the brain and the body are just this amazing spider web that. You know, you tweak one little bit of it and the whole thing starts vibrating. I, that is important to know. Because actually, when I brought it up with Dr. Steve, he shut it down. Yeah. And he, and, and that's why, like, I don't say this flippantly. Mm-hmm. Like, I do know that a lot of people are, like, really in the depths for years and years. Mm-hmm. And they would despise me saying that it's a sign of health. Like, Yeah. But I say it just from my experience and from a lot of other people that I have discussed mm-hmm. this with intensely mm-hmm. and they have said a lot of a lot of what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And of course, I can't speak for anything. I really don't want to do broad strokes. But you do wonder how much of the percentage of people that are really, uh, really suffering for as a result of almost how their, how, how society is encouraging them to take part. I mean, you're dancing around it. Like, <laughs> basically what you're saying is like, how far are we complicit in creating the yeah. circumstances that we're complaining about? Yeah. Like how much of it is our fault? Yeah. Or another way to say that is how much of that is inside our control? Yeah. And when you start to really be honest about that, it's very, very tough. Yeah. Because especially if you're depressed, yeah. you're dealing with chronic levels of shame. Yeah. You're dealing with horrendous voices in your head. You're dealing with the depths of the depths of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and so you don't need any of that guilt in that moment. But if you can step away from that and take a big picture view and take a, a non-biased view or a non-emotional view and get real stoic about it and just get a piece of paper and be like, what are the things that I'm doing that are destroying my rule? Yeah. That are ma- making that stick wonky so that I'm not getting enough sunlight. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. so that I'm, I'm closer to the ground or I'm more vulnerable for when the foxes come around. I don't know if foxes eat grapes. They probably don't. Do they even have foxes in Rome? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just great. When the badgers come around. <laughs> I'd imagine that they do. I'd imagine that they so, do. So, you know, when, when, I, when I talk about like a, a rule of life or a mental health treatment plan, you know, this is a, it's a written document mm-hmm. that I have that I've been building since I was 11. And that I am constantly, insatiably curious about tweaking and adding and changing and removing. And so it'll include things like, what does your schedule look like? What does the infamous morning routine look like? <laughs> yeah. Everything. Yeah. What meals do you eat? Yeah. Like, what do you do whenever you start to go into a depressive episode? Yeah. What's the emergency break glass yeah. 
things that you execute? Yeah. How do you come out of a depressive episode? What are your triggers? How do you even, like, it's a checklist. Here's 10 things. If you t tick more than seven of these, the chances are you're already there, bro. Yeah. Because when you're floating, you don't realize. Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know, you kind of, you know, you open your eyes and you're like, oh my goodness, I've been depressed for a week. Yeah. You know, and anyone who experiences any sort of mental health disorder will tell you, it's so hard to catch it. Yeah. Because you usually only catch it whenever it's too late or whenever the real pain starts coming. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that treatment plan, that rule of life, is what I go out into the world every single day with in the back of my head. And I'm from everyone I talk to, I'm like, is there something I could update on that? Yeah. And like a <laughs> like a mad scientist. <laughs> You're always experimenting with yourself, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, seeing this works for this season, this doesn't work for this season. All of a sudden, you have a baby. How do you, you know, you have to rewrite the whole thing. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. that's fine because it just helps you live on purpose. Yeah. And then at least it, I'll, I'll cut this all up by saying my 15-year journey with mental health mm -hmm. has been the... reducing of the list of things that are outside my control. And what I mean by that is, is I'm year by year getting to the point uh -huh. where I'm taking responsibility for everything that's inside my control so that I can radically accept and let go of what all the other stuff. Can't. That's interesting. So you're basically building up to the point that you can prepare for the things that you will never be able to control and that hurt us. It's kind of like being an AA and you've got the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. And like, if you're working the program, that's all you can do. Mm. So like, in some ways, I could have just saved that five minutes of just by saying, I've created my own 12 steps. You know, I've created a program yeah. and I just, I, I make sure that I'm working the program. Okay. And if I get depressed when I'm working the program, so, so be it. Okay. There's no guilt there. There's no shame there. There's no, oh, you messed up. Because I spent years of my life thinking that it was my fault. Yeah. I spent years of my life blaming myself. Oh, it's because you didn't do this. It's because you didn't do that. And now I get to a place where I'm like, no, I'm doing all the stuff. Literally everything you can possibly think of. And if it comes, it comes. Because sometimes it comes. Because that's life. Yeah, that's life. You know? And the peace that you can have going through that, even mm -hmm. through that suffering, is a totally different experience. Because you know in your heart of hearts that you're doing your best. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and yeah. we're all doing our best mm -hmm. at any given time. But you got to be moving forward. Yeah. You know but I mean? we got to be able to receive more information so then we can update our best. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, man, there's a lot of things that I want to come back to. First thing is that people might think this sounds contradictory, right? And this is a huge thing about the dopamine system. And you talk about when I feel low, what do I do when I feel low? People might think, oh, yeah, when I feel low, like maybe I order food or maybe I go on my phone, you know, maybe um, I play games, I plug on the PlayStation, um, maybe I try to have sex or maybe, you know, like something like sure, that. porn. Watch porn. Yep. That's kind of like a quick... But tell us why that that is actually. <laughs> no, I don't want to say the wrong thing to do. <laughs> tell us why that is actually 
inflicting more suffering. So <laughs> this is me plagiarizing, you know, Anna Lemke's life's work. <laughs> Anna Lemke's got a, a lovely metaphor that's so accessible. She talks about a seesaw. Yeah. And on one end of the seesaw, you have pleasure. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the seesaw, you have pain. Mm-hmm. And whenever you do something pleasurable, mm-hmm. let's just say uh, five units of pleasure or five mils of dopamine. Those are completely nonsense units, but we'll go with it. Okay. You know, the scale will tip five units of dopamine to the pleasure side. And that feels amazing. So these numbers are a little bit sketchy, but let's say, you know, you've got a baseline dopamine level. Okay. I think if you eat chocolate, like your dopamine levels like double, say for five minutes. Okay. Or if you have sex, I think they like triple. Okay. For whatever, let's say half an hour. <laughs> uh, I think it's actually half an hour before and half an hour after, which yeah. is kind of fun. That's interesting. Uh, if you take cocaine, it's 10 times. Wow. If you take heroin, 40 times. So, you know, there's different levels of pleasure yeah. on the brain level. Okay. And your body is obsessed with this thing called homeostasis. So it loves balance. Mm-hmm. It seeks balance at all costs because balance is predictable okay. and it knows what to do with balance. When things are out of balance, you know, if you think evolutionary, you're like, whoa, 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 like something's happening, something out of the ordinary, something uncommon, and your body does not like uncommon. Uh-huh. So what it does is it will flip the other side of the seesaw uh-huh. in direct proportion to the amount of pleasure you put on the other side. So to make that clear, if you have five units of pleasure, mm-hmm. your brain will automatically inflict five units of pain on the other side to achieve that homeostasis. level of homeostasis. Again, to bring you down real quick. Because you know, if you're out in evolutionary times and you're having like this euphoria... Like, you still got to, like, look out for wolves. You got to feed your family. You know, you can't just, like, get addicted to World of Warcraft and, like, not go and hunt anymore because you and your family will die. Mm -hmm. So it has to be fleeting because life doesn't stop Mm -hmm. and you have to be there all the time. That's an evolutionary theory. There's no proof to that, but it's a logical kind of outworking of it all. And sometimes what can happen is it will actually overcompensate. Okay. So the pain side of the seesaw will actually dip below, way below baseline. Okay. And James, first time I heard this, <laughs> blew my mind, okay? All right. What we then do is we then try to put more ple- more pleasure on. So let's say we up our five to 10 units mm-hmm. and then your brain will bring you down to, you know, minus 10 on the pain side. And the more you stack the pleasure, the more the pain Pain gets. And this is how addiction happens. Because you're just trying to get the baseline. So you take cocaine once and it brings you up to a 10. Uh You take cocaine a second time, brings you up to a five. You take cocaine a 10th time, you're getting to two. You're not getting... You take cocaine 50 times and it's not even even bringing you up to zero. Because you're so far in the pain yeah. deficit, the, the, the pain side of the seesaw is so far down that for you just to get back to normal, you have to take cocaine. And that's what addiction is. Addiction is whenever you're taking something, whether that be a substance or behavior, just to make you feel your normal self again. And I've, I've talked to cocaine addicts on the show yeah. who are like, 
I was taking cocaine just to get out of bed in the morning because that's how far I was down the dopamine deficit. So when you're feeling depressed Mm -hmm. or you're feeling tired or grumpy or you have some sort of pain, the paradox of humanity is that pleasure will not make you feel better. (laughs) Pleasure will distract you. Mm. And temporarily provide relief it will provide relief yeah but it's so fleeting and actually like a lot of things in life the shortest way is often the longest way <laughs> you know the longest way is the fastest way yeah, yeah, yeah. and if you want to come back to a place of homeostasis you push down even harder on that pain side of the seesaw and pain I'll be very clear here we're not talking about uh like like being punched in the face. Yeah. Or, um, because th- this system is actually why self-harm works. Mm. If you think about it. Yeah. Because it's the pain. You, know, you inflict pain on yourself. Yeah. And then your brain will compensate for that. To give you pleasure. By putting the pleasure on your... But a natural pleasure. Yeah. Mm. And so we're not talking about harming yourself. No. Because that just that's a loop yeah. that you'll spiral into. That's where you get addicted to you know, self-harm. Ah, oh, man, it's interesting. So for people to think, okay, am I right in saying then if I feel low mm-hmm. and I want to have the chocolate bar, I want to have the fast food, I want to do that, I want to watch the porn, actually what I should do is do something that my body finds difficult, that my body interprets as pain, yeah, and then I'll have a natural kick. Exactly. Of and so what what are the natural uh, so you know like, like to demystify everything yeah. like yeah. <clears throat> pain yeah. could be like walking up a hill mm. you know mm-hmm. pain could be running up the stairs 10 times pain could be getting yeah. in a, getting in a sauna okay and I'm not talking about staying in for an unhealthy yeah, amount yeah. of time like some form of stress that your body interprets as good stress interesting exercise cold water yeah. like you go jump in a cold shower your body's not having a good time yeah, yeah, for yeah. 10 seconds but after <laughs> <laughs> but after <laughs> you know or you, yeah, go, yeah. you go swimming in the sea the sea is the perfect metaphor for the pain pleasure balance on the drive to the sea you're miserable you're like I don't want to do this why am I doing this why am I here your friends are taking their shirts off and yeah. you're taking your trainers off on the beach you're like I don't want to be here I'm getting sand in my shoes like it's cold, it's rainy. When I thought about this, I thought it was going to be like a beautiful sunrise Instagram moment. Yeah. And here we are and it's pissing down in Helens Bay and what am I doing here? Uh-huh. And then, you know, you walk towards the water and you've never been colder in your life. You haven't even got in yet. And you get in and it's awful. And then you go up and it goes above your your balls and you're like, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah, will I go back? Yeah, will I go back? <laughs> yeah. And then it goes above your shoulders. You're like, this is, this is awful. And then you dip your head and you dip your head. <laughs> And you go under that water and you come up and you're like a phoenix that's been reborn. You, you, yeah, you are a superior being. You're literally water. baptized. John the Baptist <laughs> has literally brought you up out of the water. And your brain has it's used that natural stress to give you a natural high. And the thing about natural highs uh-huh. is it's within our brain's limitations. I guess. So... If you think about like having sex with your lifelong spouse, uh-huh. you know maybe that that gives you again we'll make up like five units of pleasure. Uh-huh. 
that's about as pleasurable as your brain is designed to get. Like, throughout the thousands of years of human history, Mm -hmm. that's as high as you're supposed to go. You're not supposed to go any higher than holding your newborn daughter in your hands, like having an incredible meal with the people you care about. Uh, Singing together. Singing together, coming out of a really intense swim in the sea or... Yeah, it could also be terrible things like yeah. giving like giving birth to a child, like the rush you get after that because of all the pain, mm-hmm. breaking your nose. Remember, I broke my nose that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally driving home that night like felt great because of the natural high. The problem that we have today is that the drugs that we use, mm. whether they're smartphones or porn or the food that we eat, they're artif- they're artificially high. They're giving us an inflated sense of pleasure to the point where watching porn could give you more pleasure than having sex with your wife. Playing Fortnite is going to give you way, way, way more reward than sharing a meal with your family. And taking heroin, (laughs) forget about it. You know, there's no such thing as one person who takes heroin or one time. You know what they call it? Have you heard this? The one-time heroin users. Like, (laughs) so they call it chasing the dragon. Oh, yeah, chasing the dragon, yeah. Like, that is amazing because you're chasing that first high because your high will never, ever be as high as that first use of heroin. Nothing else in your life. And just what comes to mind when you're talking about this, to go back to, like, the idea of natural highs, this is why addiction, when it's come to my head, this is why addiction, say, over the last 100 years, and maybe a few hundred years, has been a real big thing. But before that, it could only have been a little big thing because it's real hard to get addicted to connecting with your family, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or it's real yeah, hard to working get it. in the garden. In the garden is hard to, you know, that. Oh, it, wh- why did you get divorced and lose your job? Oh man, I just got really into growing vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> I just got real addicted to, you know what I mean? And <clears throat> it's inter- like, I think it's difficult if, if this, what you're saying is kind of the first time that people are hearing this kind of rhetoric or in and around the fact that pretty much everything we do now is giving us artificial highs and that we're, we don't even know that we're experiencing the artificial lows then. Yeah. And then if you bring it back and like, I'm just reflecting on it, like the things that I'm starting to spend more time on, like you're talking about the connecting, doing the simple things going to the cold water, meditating, that's another thing that's difficult, right? It's painful. It's painful. It's really painful to sit for even five minutes. So hard. Yeah. But unless, I mean, it can happen, but there's there's not that many people that are addicted to meditating mm. because it's so, it's so hard. Yeah. I mean, you can have people who are trying to run away from things and they meditate all the time, mm-hmm. but that's a different kettle of fish. Mm-hmm. We won't get into that. But I just think, like, man, I, do you remember, like, we were in the car. You dropped me home before Christmas and you were going oh man do you know about dopamine I said no and you said oh man <laughs> let me tell you about dopamine <laughs> you said you said your life's never going to be the same and it hasn't yeah and man sometimes I've cursed you <laughs> yeah oh, I mean, do you know <laughs> King Solomon and Ecclesiastes in the Hebrew Bible it says like more wisdom is more suffering I look at people sometimes whether they're my year and a half old daughter uh-huh. or friends of mine who just have a different personality type uh-huh. and I envy them because ignorance is bliss there's no doubt about it but if you have the type of brain that's curious and you have to know yeah then you have to go through it 
Like you have to go through Pan's Labyrinth. You have to open Pandora's box because you can't not. Yeah. You know? You're not being true to yourself. Yeah, like Maslow, as in uh, hierarchy of needs fella, he's got this great thing where he says, whatever you can be, you must be. Mm -hmm. God didn't give birds wings for them not to fly. (laughs) That's quality. And how, how many of us are like birds hopping around Belfast? Instead of using the wings, well, that's a good that's a good method to come back to the, to the depression. Yeah, how many of us have wings, but we can't really use them because ah, it's risky, or I'll get judged, or I don't believe in myself, or oh, I wanted to I wanted to have and and like this and this is important to know, and this is particularly on my mind a lot is you know the price the price of rent and the price of housing is is mental, and a lot of people our age. A lot of people our age are like stuck between maybe potentially wanting to do something that they really care about or something that will at least give them the possibility to use those wings or um, give more respect to that curiosity. But they are just hammered by the fact that you just have to pay this a month and it's probably only getting worse and you just have to worry about this and you have to worry about that. And so a friend of mine, he's quite a well-earning person, right? And he says something along the lines of, he says, you know, I just, you know, I think if you earn the average wage, I don't know if you should be able to, you should be able to have the things that we take for granted, like the house, like these things. And I think that that's a prevailing notion among some people who are high, high earners. But I think the mistake in that logic is that you assume that if you're excelling in your industry or in your what you do on a daily basis, that you'll be making loads of money. Whereas you could excel uh, working as a carer or you could excel, um, yeah, working in the hospital and not make that money. And I just think why these, like, these discussions are so important and you need the inspiration. I often also think like, like I, I want people to to listen. Anyone who listens to this podcast, I want them to listen to the mental health podcast that you're doing with Doctor Steve. But I also think it, there's like a need almost now to have a kind of socioeconomic guy with mental health discussions because you can you start talking about it. I mean, man, we were talking about the price of good food, nutritious food beforehand, you know. And I think we need to take that into consideration. And so. Uh, just to come back, and I, I know that you're fo- focusing on building the things. That, just just yeah. two quick points yeah. to like again. I would I would separate that into two. Okay. So I would say because on one hand, what you're saying is if you work sixty hours a week in McDonald's, yeah. How the hell can you better yourself? In some ways, and go with this for a second. Okay. Because I'll redeem, okay. I'll redeem that. <laughs> okay. Hesitation. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So there's two parts to that. All right. The first one is. The system is broken. Yeah. That's all I need to say. Yeah. Don't need to say any more on that because we could talk for years about that. Yeah. So the system is not in your favor. Okay. The second part to that is, right, this is your life. What are you going to do? The the system has screwed you over. I see it. And Mm. you you know what? You're 100% right. Mm. Okay. The system's not going to change. Right now. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to change 
in the next 10 years for you, McDonald's worker, 60 mm. hours a week. So how the hell are you going to get out of that? Mm-hmm. And that's where those two columns on the page, what's inside my control and what's outside my control, and you just write it out and you focus exclusively on what's inside your control. thing that comes to mind, right? Because it's, uh, it's fascinating having this because hypothetically I go, right, I live in Dublin, right? I live in Dublin, I earn this amount of money, the amount of money that will never be able to get me a house. And I would really like to have a house because I would really like to be able to have a family. And I don't really like the idea of raising a family when I don't have a house or something like that. Okay? And they say, okay, right, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to get more money. Right? I'm going to have to earn more money. Um, probably that will mean that you'll have to do more hours of work, potentially in an industry that you don't particularly care about. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe it is, right? Maybe you just have to work harder and get lucky at certain situations. But, but build it out, okay? Right. You're a potter. Right. And you dream of making the world's most beautiful pots in the world. Yeah. You're currently doing that and you're making eight grand a year. Right. Okay, the cost of living in Dublin, let's just say for families, 100 grand. Just right. keep the number simple. Right. Okay, you need a new job. Yeah. Okay, so you go and you join one of the big four accounting firms on a graduate position. You start off and say, okay, you don't start off on this, but say 50 grand. <laughs> and you work your way up the ladder until you earn 100. Right. Okay, now what happens? Okay, then this is, all right, this is fair that you did this. I now earn 100 grand. Yeah. I have now uh, met a partner and that I can actually now afford a house, okay? Yeah. And this is the thing that plagues me. I have the house. But it doesn't make the situation that I was cursing a few years ago any better. In fact, it means I've just succumbed to that. And uh, I don't want, I don't, like, I don't want this to, you know, like, I know, I know you're well aware of this, but I just, and I do think a lot of people who listen to mental health podcasts, sometimes feel like the socioeconomic um, aspect is left out and I know that you're not doing that but I just wanted to give it a little little time because I just want to say that like here are two people that really care about mental health but also are very well aware of the things that are outside of our control and the, the difficult dilemmas that we face in our lives and you're just constantly trying to find this kind of, well, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do this, you know? But again, what I would say is you working for Big Four, earning mm. 100 grand a year, you've got this house that you've always dreamed of. You've got the family. When you wake up in the morning yeah. and you look at your blank sheet of paper, yeah. you're still faced with those two columns. <laughs> what's inside my control what's outside my control that's true some things on that list may have shifted from when you were working 60 hours at McDonald's yeah. but at the end of the day you wake up with the same 24 hours and the same two columns and again the question I ask to you is what do you do because that's all we have you know I feel like I'm about to turn into like a political revolutionary here <laughs> where I'm like no, but it, like genuinely like they have taken everything from us and all you have left Oh, this is Viva Vendetta. That's where that's <laughs> coming from. It's whenever she, uh, Natalie Portman gets her head shaved and she's in the cell. And anyway, you know, all you have left are your your choices. Let me ask you this: Do you think that what is missing is not necessarily the kind of perspective that you're that you're bringing, peddling pe- that you're peddling, <laughs> yeah, but rather a more kind of 
compassionate advertisement for that because I think people you know people have heard oh yeah you have the same you have the same 24 hours a day and uh, they hear it as if pull yourself up by your boots yeah get, get yeah. on with it man work harder be like, better I got, hustle yeah I got um, whereas coming from a place where uh, we have 24 hours in a day alright and I know almost 10 years are completely gone because of these things and then you have to do that and whatever and no one's saying it's easy. However, there are still things in your control that could potentially benefit your mental health. And we want that. We want people to do that. And then, Have I ever talked to you about Domino's? Domino's? Not the pizza. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, oh, I just yeah. wanted to make sure we didn't have a ruler situation. <laughs> yeah, we don't have that again. Uh, Tell me. I can't remember the fancy scientific principle for this. Mm-hmm. But a domino can knock over another domino 1.5 times bigger than itself. You ever heard of this? <laughs> okay, so something ridiculous like in seven dominoes, yeah. a small regular-sized domino could chain react all the way up and knock over a domino the size of a door. When you get to 15, it's the Empire State Building. Expand. There are really, really small actions we can take even when we're doing 60 hours a week in mcdonald's that will allow us to hit the next domino Mm. and the next domino is just a little bit bigger Mm. and then that domino will lead you to the next bigger domino the next bigger domino the next bigger domino until you you know you again you open your eyes three years later and you're like whoa my life has radically changed Mm. but it was embarrassingly little steps Mm -hmm. and I guess what I want to dedicate the next 60 years of my life to whatever I'm given Mm -hmm. is helping people figure out what those dominoes are the first domino is the hardest domino yeah for sure because the first domino is I mean I love the matrix right I really do. The first, the first domino is taking the pill and realizing that you are living in the matrix. So it's like the first domino is you accepting. That's a bit too mystical. The first first domino is is deciding a new perspective to change. Yeah, yeah. Because, and we all we all have experienced this in our own lives with ourselves and Mm -hmm. with people we care about. Until that one tiny little domino falls, nothing else works. Yeah. People have to get to a point where they're willing to flick that first domino over. Yeah. You cannot do it for them. No podcast will do it for them. No book they read will do it for them. It's literally something that only they can do. So what what we do with the mental health podcast and with a lot of the other things that I put my hand to the plow is... What are those dominoes hmm. and how do we knock them down? I respect that, man. Honestly, you're doing good work. Random question that's just popped into my head that that I think is interesting. This is the change of pace in the conversation. That we were talking yeah, about This before. is about to be high energy. <laughs> I feel it. But this is what your job is as the interviewer. Yeah, like, yeah, you know what? We've had enough of that. Let's go and do this. Yeah. <laughs> so you you said not too long ago that you viewed, and tell me if I'm getting it wrong, but that you viewed 
your depression from an early age as your gift or your your means in which you could become closer to yourself something like this right yeah was that it at what point did you reach that perspective because i think you say this now right there may be people listening going oh, i hate when people say that i hate when people say that this is the best thing that i'm miserable i'm sick of this at what like do you do you remember the time where you said where you felt actually actually and it, i have a feeling we're going to talk about this perspective shift that you're talking about with the domino when was that for you like what helped you go actually i'm going to change how i look at this this difficulty in my childhood these relationships my perspective my my addiction i'm going to change how i looked at it because actually that that's much more beneficial for me i mean the honest answer is yesterday <laughs> yesterday <laughs> oh God, yesterday but what i mean by that is like it's never in the moment i get you it's never yeah. when you're suffering mm. because what a ridiculous thing to think mm. and that's why like there is that aggressive reaction you're talking about yeah. where someone's depressed and they're like forget this guy yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who the hell does he think he is he didn't have it that bad then he didn't have it that bad yeah, he didn't yeah. know what it's like when he says he was suicidal, he mustn't have really been suicidal. Because yeah, yeah. if he was feeling how I was feeling right now, he would know that there is literally no speck of color on the RGB scale in my life. You know? Mm. Like, not even that. It's not even, like, the absence of color. It's, like, it's like a negative version of that. Yeah, man. It's, like, picture black and white and then suck all the color out of it. What does that mean? I have no idea, but that's what it feels like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... And when you're in that place, like, you, there's no way you can possibly think like that. Yeah. Uh, but at the, again, the passage of time, I, I hate to do this, uh-huh. but Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> right. You know. We love Matthew McConaughey. All the red lights in your life through the rear view mirror or green lights. That's it. That's good. Man. That's, I mean, that is it. Yeah, man. And you do that enough times. Mm-hmm. And this, this is all, this is what wisdom is. Mm. This is what age... No, no. This is what maturity is. Maturity is going through that cycle enough times to re, to then have the courage whenever you're in the middle of suffering and you have the hope mm-hmm. that this will be made for good. Mm-hmm. You mightn't feel it in the moment. You can't... But, but there's that party. They're like... You'll almost laugh at yourself and be like... <laughs> like I know I feel like blowing my head off now but like I know in two years time I'll be talking about this yeah. do you know what I mean that's I the separation between the I and the me the self and the body mm. you know we hear all these wonderful mystical people talking about this sort of stuff yeah, 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 yeah. you know whenever you say I am depressed no you're not you're experiencing depression you're experiencing depression me is depressed mm. your body is depressed your brain is inflamed your heart is broken, your spirit is crushed, whatever way you want to say it. But like that still small voice that you know to be yourself beyond the voice that tells you to watch more porn or, you know, shout at your dad, like the one that you know to be you, like nothing can touch that. Mm. Like No depression in the world can come near that. And if again, it's through maturity, I think, and just time, mm. but time lived intentionally, like intentional time. We're all, we, we, we're, you're doing it with your eyes open. You're living life on purpose. Yeah. You can be going into hell 
And there can be that small, 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 small little bit that's like, okay, I've been here before and I know that I'm going to get out again. And you know the link here, man, is that, for me, is that the more you can spend time present in your day, the more that you can watch yourself say previously you'd go oh this is shy this is awful like I can't wait till this is over or Jay's I don't want to be here or whatever and you can watch yourself and you can go oh okay well, what, if, what if I needed this what yeah. if actually this is the thing that helps or like you said to even kind of laugh at it mm-hmm. like man this is shit yeah <laughs> and, and don't deny it you know don't kind of sugarcoat happiness about it like every yeah. day you know just go oh this is shit but yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is life let me ask you this. Right. I'm going to ask you a very North Irish question. Oh, here we go. Are you Protestant or Catholic? Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you go to Sunday school or anything like that when you were younger? Uh, no, man. Do you know Psalm 23? I don't know Psalm 23. Have you ever heard the words, the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, yeah. Okay, that's Psalm 23. Okay. okay. So that is a poem, effectively. I mean, it's a psalm, it's a song. Okay. And there's a line in that where it says, okay, so it talks about like, even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death. And I was thinking about this on the bus this morning, man. <laughs> I could cry. This is, this is good. Uh, that word, when. Mm. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death. Not if. It's when, and that's life. You're going to go through it. Nobody gets out on scale. <laughs> nobody, nobody makes it out alive. No, man. You know? Uh, so it's when. And in another part of that psalm, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows with joy. And so, like, if you close your eyes, you think about this. Right. Like, you're in hell. Okay. You're in the valley of the shadow of death. Mm-hmm. You're on the kitchen floor where you tried to take your own life. Mm-hmm. And somehow, some way, there is a table prepared for you in that moment. There is a feast laid out in front of you for you to take from Mm. and put in your mouth Mm. and get sustenance from and get joy from Mm. and find meaning from and overflow from. And that's a bit all over the place. but But I genuinely believe that. Like, Okay, that's very mystical. Like, change pace, okay? I do this thing now whenever I'm in a depressive episode. Uh-huh. Because of this, Sam, uh-huh. where I'm like, where's the feast? Because I do this thing whenever I'm depressed where if you picture like a calendar that someone has on their fridge yeah. and then picture a black Sharpie uh-huh. and in the days that I'm depressed, uh-huh. I just put an X through the whole day. Right. It's like, you know, whenever you've been addicted to something and you're trying to go sober yeah. and you get 21 days... And then you relapse. 
And then instead of like using your drug of choice once, you decide to go on like a one week bender because yeah. you're like, oh, well, I'm back to square one anyway. Yeah. It's that all or nothing mentality. Yeah. And my whole life I've been like, oh, I'm depressed. Let's just wipe this day off the, ca- the face of the earth. Let's wipe this month off the face of the earth and let's get lost and run away from ourselves doing whatever screen or sex or whatever you want to get into. Yeah. And I just realized that you can be in that awful place and you can get like little slices of light that peek their way through. So I can be in the worst place possible and I can go for a walk and I can see something or I can have a moment with my daughter or my spouse or someone I care about or someone at the bus stop. Mm. Like it's not like it's a 100% full tilt all the time. Terrible. And even when it is, you might even be watching a YouTube video and you get that one laugh. Mm. Now it's fleeting as hell, Mm. but it's still something. Mm. And I've just, it's a practice. Mm -hmm. It's something you have to force yourself into is what, where were the feasts today? Angela Duckworth, she wrote a book called Grit. She's all about resilience. Okay. She gave this picture one time on a podcast of, you know, like a garden shed. Uh-huh. And you're in there and it's like pitch black, but there's like a couple of little cracks in the wood. Yeah. There's these little like light. laser ultra light beams yeah, yeah, yeah. sneaking through. <laughs> She's like, that little slither of light, that slice of light is your consciousness. And everything else is your subconscious. And she says, there's a lot of darkness in the world. There's a lot of darkness in your life. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of pain. Mm. Your only job is to direct your little tiny ultralight beam towards the good. Mm. Because if that's what you dwell on and that's what you focus, you know, you just need a little bit of light and the darkness around it can't touch it. You know, man, like we just mentioned before we start and you said how is that virtue is a, is a practice. Sorry? I think virtue is a habit. Yeah. Virtue is a habit, right? Mm. Brene Brown says compassion isn't an innate thing. It's a, it's a commitment. Mm. And what you're saying as well, it's a choice. And this is a thing that I've been thinking about recently about how there's a, there's a lot of terrible things going on, right? But there always has been. And... Like the the real, real deep guys, like the the yin and yang understanders, <laughs> yeah, they've never gone. You know, sometimes you hear like mystical people or people say it's all love, right? It's all love. Well, I can point a thousand things to suggest that it's not all love, right? <laughs> but the fact that like a kind of, and it's such a precious perspective to be able to hold of going, no, there's these terrible things happening. Mm. And I can, I can, I can feel, I can, I can do what I can for it, but there's also this light and it's not too, and this is another thing I mentioned to you before about, um, uh, a lecture that I heard called, um, embracing our humanity. Maybe sometimes people like me, people want to say, oh no, like, well, look at this. And, and they'll say, they'll say, um, ah, oh, okay. A superficial example. Uh, Will Smith slapped uh, Chris Rock, right? Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> Will Smith slapped Chris Rock in the in the Oscars, right? A lot of people are saying, "Oh, it's despicable! Like violence is just not on." And he got over like over overreacted to the situation, right? 
my default at this point, it definitely was never always, like wasn't always there. My default at this point going like, right, I hope Chris Rock okay. We, we check on Chris Rock, but also what's going on with Will? Why, why did that happen? And then people say, you're justifying that. You're justifying the terrible acts. No, I'm not. No, give him, give him what, what needs to be given, whatever. But still, we're not going to address that darkness in him because it's darkness in all of us. We're not going to actually address that and stop that from potentially happening again unless we say, hey, what's going on, Will? Instead of going, this guy or this act. Like, what's the point? This war. What's the point? This inequality. What's the point? Th- this situation. Well, because, you know, the reality is that you are Will Smith slapping Chris. You we are, are you are Chris getting slapped, and you, you are, are the Will paparazzi Smith. taking the photograph, writing yes. the article. Yes, you are Vladimir yes. Putin. Yes. starting the war. Yes, and you are Ukraine yes. being invaded. Facts. We are all of those things, and we are capable of them all. And talk about difficulty. You know, people not wanting to. People not really wanting to start the domino starts to change that perspective man people find that so hard you know people do not people want to say hey I think most people are good but these people are evil it is but man tit not hand you know tit not hand he has the poem pirates pirates and I think it was you know the way some people can say things and you don't give a credence but when certain people give a credence or when certain people articulate it, then you go, okay, fair enough. When Tit Nahan is saying, like Tit Nahan, like one of the holiest people in the world, is saying, I am the pirate who raped the woman, the refugee fleeing her land, and I am the woman who's being raped who jumps off the boat. He's going, unless we can accept that there's a part of us in them and a part of us in them, we're not going to make any headway. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is why I think it's interesting about you, man, because, you know, people could pigeonhole a certain perspective of yours and to say um, personal uh, responsibility, take advantage. But also you, this is a huge collective issue that you're talking about here. Mm-hmm. If we can acknowledge that that person that I don't like down the hall is part of me and him, that's that's addressing the real collective issue that. That, that is so palpable, you know? And and we haven't really talked about the external conditions that we live in and, and how we're almost always pigeonholed into, like, oh, we don't like him or, or she's sexy or he's a fool or he's class or, you know, et cetera. Uh, they're so stupid or whatever. We're unconsciously being put into these scenarios where we're almost told, hey, you should think this about this thing. But if we could, like, dedicate time to think about, right, Tinahan says that he is that person, but he's also this person, right? There's a part of me in them. How, do, how would I look at the world then? How would I treat them if there's a part of me in that person? And then it starts looking a lot brighter, doesn't it? Like, you're talking about that light of consciousness. That's what gets me excited, you know? That, that's what gets me a little optimistic about what we can do do you know so my question to you is oh no (laughs) how do you make that a reality in your day to day because you feel it right now in this moment right Mm. yeah yeah, yeah. you feel very holy yeah 
<laughs> you feel like Will Smith could come up to you right now and slap you in the face and you would just say, peace and love, brother. Hey, what's going on, Will? You okay, bro? Is everything all right at home? <laughs> Bring it in, Will. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, man? Come, here's the other cheek. <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. How do I do it? Yeah. But you put me on the bus and I get off my bus stop and Will mm. Smith comes and slaps me at the bus stop. I'm killing them. Mm. In th- and that's just in like a one-hour yeah. space. Yeah. So how do you, what's the domino there or what's the rule of life practice that you put in place to come? Because the reality is you do your morning meditation mm. or you say, you know, your morning prayers mm. and like, you know, by the time you road rage down the M1, mm-hmm. you've forgotten your prayers. Mm-hmm. Or you go, you know, you're really intentional before you go into a meeting. And you're like, I'm going to be so whatever. And you go in and then the meeting's finished. And then at lunchtime, you snap at your wife. Yeah. I was, man, it's funny. I was really thinking about this in the walk in here. I was thinking how I'm never going to reach the point. Like, I'm I'm quoting Titanot Han, right? I'm quoting this. Um, and probably Titanot Han would admit that he isn't like that all the time probably I mean I know he's recently passed but if, if he's been in his heart his heart he's probably say 80% of the time I am right I don't know where I am maybe I'm 20% of the time that I can say that and, and maybe carry out it and I was thinking about exactly what you said and I thought I need to trust I need to trust other people I need to trust that when I am in that frame of mind when I am in that consciousness that the people around me can say Hey, this guy is me. I've been there. I was struggling with my sister yesterday. I was struggling with my dad yesterday. Um, it can't. And this, this is a actually now. Now it's fleshing out. This can't work individually because you'll cave. You'll get fatigued. <laughs> you need. Uh, if I slap, if I go out and slap someone, I need you. I need someone else to say. Hey man, you shouldn't have slapped him and whatever repercussions necessary, but also what's going on? Man? Because <laughs> Do you know what you need? What? You need a Denzel Washington. <laughs> we to all come need Denzel up to you Washington. Immediately afterwards yeah. and do both. Confront yeah. and soothe. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. And I tell you this I haven't followed the Will Smith fallout. Uh, in great detail okay but I'm gonna make a broad statement uh-huh. that there's a lot of confronting uh-huh. on one side there's a lot of soothing on the other uh-huh. and there's f- hardly anybody doing both that's a good point and this is what I love about Jesus so much right <laughs> right if you look at Christ he was so confrontational really yeah like so confrontational Mm -hmm. but he was so soothing and he would go to somebody or most times actually people would go to him Mm -hmm. actually that's interesting I feel like nearly every time people would come to him Mm -hmm. and they would be incredibly flawed and broken 
and he would address their brokenness, maybe through, a, say, a miracle, like he would, you know, heal the blind man's eyes or whatever. But then he would confront the flaw. And in 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 that tradition's language, mm-hmm. you would hear, you would see it written as something like, "Go and sin no more." Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, you've done this. You've gone on your journey. You've come here. You've had a supernatural experience. That's great. Now you need to go forward, and you need to change. You cannot continue going the same way that you were before this. You have to change. And I love sin. The word is remarkable. How cool. I could spend a lot of time on this, so I'll, I'll just I'll spit it out. Okay. There's a lot of different definitions of what sin is. Mm-hmm. For me, sin is the loss of life. The loss of life. Yeah. That's what sin leads to. Okay. And so, sin for me is not a case of following rules as in did you sin or did you not sin Mm. you know it's not like something you can tick off a list you follow the rule book and everything will be okay it's more like the opposite of sin I think is life actions that lead to life but when you say life you don't mean life as like commonly interpreted you mean life as in vitality coursing through your veins like a connection a gratefulness to be alive kind of thing living on purpose trying to think of an example you know if your granny turns around you and say Matthew stop smoking I'm like why she's just like because it's a sin I'm like what Hmm. that gives me nothing (laughs) if granny turns around to me and says in a compelling and sincere full way where she's like yeah, yeah, you can smoke if you want. That's fine. But it's going to lead you to a place of death. Like Both physically and mentally. Both like, physically and mentally. And spiritually. Like, that's sin. Yeah. What, what it does to your body, the diseases it leads you to, that's death. Mm. Okay, more superficial. Mm. I'm playing with my daughter mm-hmm. and my phone's sitting there. And my daughter's holding a book and I blow her off and I give her a toy and I pick up my phone. That's sin. Because life has been lost there. I get you. That's really, really, really small and superficial. But that's what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. It's not a case of am I an upstanding moral person? It's not a case of like being a rule follower, being legalistic. It's like the actions we take are either leading us towards life or they're either leading us towards death. I personally believe there's no middle ground. The two wolves. <laughs> the two wolves. It's another story that Matt told me in, in, in the car conversations. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want to just flesh out the two wolves? Am I right in saying that this is a fair... Comp- yeah, okay. <laughs> so the two wolves is based in... Native American tradition I know very little about their religions and their rituals and what they believe I know superficially from like Disney movies that animals play a big role and that there's like you know trickster coyote and the bear means this and this means that and blah 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 
But the two wolves is a belief that inside of each, each of us there's two wolves. There's a good wolf and there's a bad wolf. There's a light wolf and there's a dark wolf. And the actions you take feed one of those wolves. So if you give in to your temper and you lash out at somebody, mm-hmm. your wife, you've just fed the dark wolf. And you keep feeding. Mm-hmm. The way you live your life determines which wolf grows bigger and which wolf grows smaller. Mm-hmm. Whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve shrinks. And if you follow that over the course of a life, mm-hmm. I think it can explain how you can go from being a peaceful person to killing somebody. Because that wolf has got so big mm-hmm. that just like the dopamine scale, mm. it's not going to be satisfied with a small little mm. small little dog treat anymore. It's going to want a big steak. And I think it's also the same with your light wolf. Well, this is, this is what they believe. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you said virtue is a habit. You start training that virtue muscle. You start practicing generosity. Mm. And all of a sudden your generosity will get bigger. Mm. 10% of your income won't be enough. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. to, 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 to have only 10 pairs of shoes isn't going to be enough. Or whatever example you want to fill it out with. But it's the, it's the daily actions we take. Yeah. And again, it's like the, it's like the example of like eating bad food. You don't see it the next day on your waistline or yeah. on your GP medical record. <laughs> you don't see it after five years. You yeah. don't see it after 20 years. No. You start reaping what you've sown, maybe in your 60s. And like a, a mentor of mine says this great thing where he's like, look at old people. He's like, there's no uh, middle of the road old person on planet Earth. They're either an absolute saint <laughs> that floats through the world at 90 years old or they're the most miserable, <laughs> cantankerous, oh, angry, uh, arseholy person because it's compound interest over a lifetime. One thing I feel compelled to say is that my favorite quote from last year was the, op- the opposite of every profound truth is a profound truth. And that it's not, it's not whether it is right or wrong, but in what context is it right and what context is it wrong. Absolutely. And I want to say this because I think you're saying... People don't turn into like the devil. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At 90. And, and, people, and there's aspects of their character that maybe, or like even skills, you, know, you could say they're, they're the most talented chess player yeah. in the world. You know, it's not evil. No, 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 no. But, you know, maybe... In, if you take something like patience, yeah. or you take something like peace, or you take something about you know generosity, what they do with their money, uh-huh. how they love, how they talk to people, the words they use, yeah. how they spend their time, yeah, 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 yeah. those are measurables I think you can track. And the two wolves are, is a helpful mechanism in, in many in many of those aspects. Yeah, probably yeah. the t- the the two wolves, you know, to f- to complete your challenge there, I would have no problem saying that the two wolves is not a good uh, 
judgment for an entire being. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rather a really useful measurement for a certain domain okay. in someone's life. All right, I appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. That added a lot of uh, nuance to that. Thank you. Ah, oh, man, it needs to be. Yeah. And that's all I, that's, that's what I wish. Yeah. You know, me and Seb disagree. Sometimes I Seb, Seb quotes. I send Seb quotes, right? And Seb would be like, ah, oh, that's, that quote was nonsense because of this one example that I've just created where it doesn't apply. And I try to say like, well, Seb, man, yeah, but in many other contexts, it's true. And what if it's making you think and what, and cultivate, you know? And I think we can, often fall into that kind of black and white black and white all right and, and sorry this is, a, this is a good reminder before i forget this so you, you made a good point about how how many people are um criticizing will but all like criticizing will and also giving them a hand right um and you said that we need both we need a world where more and more people are, are being able to do both not reflect on myself right i think we talked about this in sauna before i said I, th- I agreed that we need both, but I didn't know if I was capable of both in one being. But now I do I think I am. But I was, in, I was reflecting on why do I think that my default is um, a compassion? Why is my default like, hey, think about what he's going through. Think about why he did that. Think, you know. And because definitely I grew up in a house where conflict was avoided. At all costs. So that was my first language, you know, to beautifully and in a nice way avoid that, you know. And in many in many households, it's the complete opposite. In many households, it's conflict upon conflict. Yeah, it's the belt. It's the belt. Straight away. It's the belt. Yeah. Or it's that kind of um, non-violent violence, mm-hmm. you know, non-physically violent violence of just tension and arguments and, you know. And that's why they feel like, no, he was right and he was wrong. And that was, right, the three of you, get against the wall right now. And we're not going to leave here until one of you owns up. (laughs) I don't care if we stand here for six years. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like five and you just feel the weight of that. Yeah. Yeah, man. And and I think, like, I don't know. I want to ask you about this. Like, we live in in a wounded world, but. How many of us grew up in a house where we had both? Do you know, and maybe that's why we have the attachment to one way or the other. It's because that's what we grew up in, man. That was our bread and butter, and that's how we survived. We're doing okay. I'm doing okay. Calling Will Smith uh, like a careless Hollywood uh, waste of space, like he didn't, you know, too much money, like uh, first person, first world problems. You know, I'm doing okay. I'm in good company. You know, <laughs> people think I'm all right. Yeah. And then on the flip side, other people are in good company. But maybe there's a question I didn't anticipate, and I'm asking. Where are you about, or like, what what household? <laughs> where was your tendency? Where was your? Yeah, definitely like you. Like I was the the compassionate guy, mm. and then I moved to New York, <laughs> and New York changed me. Yeah, because New York beat me up, and showed me that the that the nice guy wasn't enough. Mm. You know, mm. and through that journey, taught me how to set good boundaries and respect myself, mm-hmm. and realize that there's a difference between being meek and weak. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between being soft and compassionate and a doormat. Yeah, 
And again, yeah. I hate to keep doing this, back to Jesus. Yeah. Like Jesus is often portrayed as the white guy with long hair with a lamb on his lap. Turn the other cheek, kind of, you know. Yeah. And then you turn the page and he's like whipping people out of the temple. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's whipping people. He makes JC was whipping. He makes a cord and he literally throws sellers out of the temple, like overturning tables, chasing them out. Mm-hmm. He's standing up to the religious leaders of the day. He's calling them a brood of vipers. <laughs> that is not oh so sweet, yeah. so gentle, so meek and mild. That is someone who has the strength to hold both and to not dip into the chaos that those two avenues can lead to. When it's like fundamentalism. Yeah, well, because the chaos of compassion is enablement. Yeah. No boundaries. And and the chaos of, what word have we been using here? Um, Conflict. Yeah, the, the, the the chaos of like confrontation is abuse. You know, and again, back to Psalm 23. You ready for this? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh He makes me lay down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Okay. Goes on and says, your rod and your staff comfort me. Right. So get this. You're a shepherd up the mountains 2,000 years ago. Right. You have a staff. Right. The staff is the big crook, you know, like the curve. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so your sheep falls into the river. Okay. That crook's going around the sheep's neck and pulling it out. Or the sheep's wandering off course. Uh-huh. You get a hook around the neck and put back on course. Mm. Okay, so that's the compassion. Then there's the rod, and the rod's used for beating the hell out of stuff. And that rod is being used to the shepherds going up against bears, mm. going up against lions. Mm. And the rod you're very happy that the rod is there because you need both. You know, you need the rod and you need the staff. We do, man. And you know, interestingly, uh, I told you I interviewed my uh, secondary school teacher not too long ago. And uh, he famously like gave me a, a public like scalding. <laughs> like a like legendary scalding where... Um, he literally, like, he came into the class, right? I'll tell the story because I think it's important. So basically, I was in fourth year, and fourth year, for people not familiar, is the year where you, do, you don't do so much in secondary school. It's kind of like a f- fake year, like quasi year. We were always so envious of the Republic. <laughs> what is it? A certain, what, what's the word? Transition word? year. Transition year. <laughs> my goodness. You've never got it up here. Oh, my word. <laughs> you see people, like, working in pubs all year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. like, going on, like, yeah. Are working with their dad, getting a bit of money. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I thought it was cool. The bell had just gone. I was going to go to the shop for a nice chicken roll with my friends. I was going. Chicken roll. Chicken roll. Love chicken rolls. <laughs> and the teacher asked me, he said, hey, James, do you mind going down and doing this thing for me? It would have taken like three minutes. And I immediately just asked, oh, sorry, sir, I'm busy. Right. I wasn't busy. I could have done it. Right. But there I was, like, 16, thinking I was the dog's bollocks. I was just about to do this, you know. Like, I don't have time for teachers. 
I'm being cool. I'm off the clock, bro. Yeah, I'm off the clock. I've just <laughs> clocked out. <laughs> just clocked out. If you wanted something, bro, you best believe you <laughs> should have called me three minutes ago. Because <laughs> yeah. exactly. my paycheck only goes to 3.30 yeah, here. I'll, I'll act until the bell, man. <laughs> now I can't act anymore. But then he said, yeah, no problem, James, right? Next time, next day we have classroom. And he walks in and I'm sitting three rows back, okay? And the first row... There's no one sitting there. And then the second row, there's my friend, Owen. And then there's me, okay? And he comes in and he says, Owen, how you doing? Owen says, oh, yeah, not too bad, sir, yeah. He goes, do you mind moving there a little bit? Just six inches to the left. He literally asked Owen to move his chair six inches so he could just see me in his firing line directly, right? And he was like, James, yesterday, yesterday, I asked you a quick favor and you told me you were too busy, too busy. Too busy for someone. And he went on the, the rant. I don't really remember the rant. I'm up to 10 o'clock night marking your stupid English assignments. I don't care what you've said about the great Gatsby, but here I am going through, circling every time, using an apostrophe in the wrong place. Yeah. Like, but like, like showing his passion, showing the fact that he didn't look at me as a student. He looked at me as a human that he needed a bit of help from. And I said, no. Why was Robin Williams your teacher? <laughs> Why Why were you playing a main role in Good Will Hunting? <laughs> That's how I got the haircut. I'm the Will haircut now. At what point here do you stand up on the desk and say, my captain, my captain? Um, and no, I didn't have the balls to do that. Um, I took it. I just took it. But I remember, like, I don't know at what point, but like you said, yesterday. It definitely wasn't in the moment. Definitely wasn't in the moment. But at some point I said, I needed that scalding. And there was no one in my life that would have given me that scalding apart from him. Do you know? At the time, maybe I'm thinking, oh, I thought he was sound. I thought he was a nice teacher. I thought he was... But really, he was showing me the hard hand that I needed to realize I was acting the bollocks. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I have no doubt that we will use the word the universe (laughs) will bring you... (laughs) kind of uh, rods and staffs yeah. through circumstances. Yeah. I would say the ideal is if imagine it was from the same source. So imagine that you also had that real, or maybe you did with your teacher, that real like compassionate side mm. as well. Who, you know, was able to confront and then soothe. This is quote, right? I don't know if I gave it to you before. And it reminds me of like, maybe we unconsciously think that we just want the soothing comfort, mm. right? That's what, that's what we think a nice life is. We just want those people around us to soothe and comfort people, right? The guy's quote, he says, he was reflecting upon his life probably in his late 60s. And he said, I had wanted life not to bother me and succeeded and how pitiful that was. Mm. And sometimes when I'm in difficulty or sometimes when I'm like, Backs against the wall. I think I need to hear. I need to think that I quote. Yeah. I can't. I can't cross my fingers and hope for the time when it's soothing again. Yeah. This is. This is. This is it. Like this is life. This yeah, is. It's, it's, it's two columns on your sheet of paper. It's the two inside columns on your sheet of paper. I want to retract something that I said. Yeah. About it being from the same source. Okay. Because I think that's too idealistic. Okay. And I think that that is. It is exactly what I said it's an ideal and okay. it's reality and I actually have seen and heard and again we can talk about whether this is right or wrong uh-huh. but I have seen healthy families uh-huh. 
where father plays, say, the staff uh-huh. and mother plays the rod and that works. Or one teacher plays the rod <laughs> and one teacher <laughs> plays the staff. Or one boss you had when you were 14 played the the staff and then a different boss at 27 played the, you know, the soothe. Mm. So, you know, it's it. maybe you have to go through extended periods of time because my question for you is did you need the shame is a harsh word to use but did you need that like grovel and that like man that guy i i thought that guy was cool like that guy's a jerk yeah maybe that's what you needed i did i did but i like the idea of us trying to trying to be both you yeah. know, I mean, you're a husband, man. You're a father. You know a lot more. I'm a, I'm a single man. But, you know, you also, you often hear, right, uh, men who definitely have the stronger characteristic of being the, you know, I'll get into conflicts. I'll do that. Yeah, no butter. But I won't, I won't, I won't sit in circle and pour my heart out because I'm, I'm just not there yet. Mm. Uh, and vice versa, you have the people who sit in circle all day long, pour the hell all day long. But don't get me into that conflict. Yeah, but you're like, bro, when we get jumped on the way home, I don't want you there. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. easier if you're not there, actually. <laughs> Appreciate the share. <laughs> Lovely share. We're connected. But if I don't have you... And, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it's the age-old thing of, like, the nice guy going, like, oh, why, why didn't she like me? Or why didn't... Just, yeah. You know? And I think I'm coming to that realization now. Like, we got it. We got to be called Vain Boat. Yeah. Surely. Yeah. Do you have any tips? <laughs> tips, no. Okay. Stories, yes. Give me some stories, man. Okay, King David. Okay. King David was a shepherd. King David wrote Psalm 23. Okay. So there you go. There's a nice callback for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming back here. It's so good. So uh, David was a shepherd. Right. And he spent years and years of his life out in the field since he was a boy doing the rod and the staff work. So he was holding the lambs in his arms after they were born. He was comforting them. He was taking care of them. He was leading them to food. And he was also disciplining them whenever they needed. Mm. And he was also killing lions. From a young age, this homie's (laughs) out there slaying lions, mountain lions. Right? They're the hardest of lions. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about these city lions yeah, that you see man. walking around everywhere. This is a mountain lion. Mountain lions, man. And, you know, if you look at that as like a story arc. So the prophet Samuel comes to David's dad. Okay. Because he received a prophecy that the ki- like the next king is going to be from this family. Hmm. So he goes to this family and all the brothers line up. I think there's like eight brothers. Right. And they're like really strong and tall and muscly and old and whatever. And Samuel like goes through them all. And I don't know how you prophetically check, is this guy the one? <laughs> right. You know how you do the Morpheus thing for eight people so so quickly? Anyway, he, he does whatever he does. Okay. And he's like, nah, this isn't it. He's like, do you have any more sons? And the dad's like, uh, yeah, I've got this one kid like out in the mountains should I go get him and the prophet's like absolutely right so David comes 
he's a wee boy, he's like half the height of everybody. And Samuel immediately sees him. Sam's like, that's him. And in that moment of David's life, he gets anointed to be the king of Israel. And it's like, I can't, I don't know exactly, but it's like literally like 15 years later, he becomes king. But it was in that moment. And part of me thinks that the lessons that David learned mm. being a shepherd mm. prepared him for whenever he was being the shepherd of the nation. And I think for you and I, mm. the secret, the hack, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. is to do it smallly in our day-to-day lives with the f- little things that are inside our control for mm. now. The small circle of influence that we have, mm-hmm. start implementing it there mm. because this is where you learn. Mm. This is where you cut your teeth. This is where you figure out how to walk that delicate balance. Yeah. This is where you learn how do I confront somebody in love? How do I criticize somebody in yeah. love? How do I love somebody enough to not just enable them? Yeah. How do I have that conversation? Because if things go the way your story arc <laughs> is going to go, mm-hmm. your circle will increase. Mm. And that could be in a lot of different ways. Mm. You know, I do think you, you could end up having a family someday. <laughs> Immediately there, you've got this huge circle and this huge responsibility. But if you start trying to do all that stuff then... It's, too, uh, it's not too late. It's not too but late, it, but, but you've just, you just have to start then. Yeah, man. Do you know what I mean? And then, you know, let's think, like you become a patriarch of the next gener- of the next family line, you know, and you're, you're 80 and there's, there's 20 people coming to your house for Christmas. Mm. And there's there's conflict. You want to be the guy that can bring out the rod and the staff, True. who can be like, "What you just did there, that can't happen." Yeah. But we love you, and we want to hear what's going on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's the same if you end up being the CEO of like a huge company. You've got five thousand staff. They need a rod and the staff. Yeah. And and just to bring it back to Denzel, <laughs> what you're talking about takes years of demonstrable action, right? You know, right? As in, Will Smith isn't listening to Denzel Washington because he's in a good, he's in some good movies. He's thinking, he's <laughs> he's listening to Denz because Denz is showing that for 30 years that acting is, is a fucking spiritual practice for him and that he really wants to focus on certain values in his outside and, and he'll say that. You know, he's very controversial in, in that regard. And I guess it's helped me now as well. Like, it's not going to happen next week. Like, I'm not going to be at the family. I'm not going to be at the Christmas gathering this year. And people <laughs> go, here, we just we just see what James says. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a bit soft, but we just see what James says. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's what other people need to hear potentially as well. Yeah, we, they, mm. imagine, like, when Denzel was 20, when Denzel was 30. Yeah, yeah, But you look at, the, Denzel's a great example. You look at Denzel now. Yeah. And he is the grandfather yeah. for guys like Jay-Z, yeah. guys like Will Smith. When there is a crisis, like he's there and people know that he's there. Yeah. Because why? Because if Denzel had just come over and ripped Will to pieces in that moment, that's not the appropriate response. No. But he came with the rod on the staff. Consistently. Yeah, but yeah. in that moment, oh, but in that moment that's yeah. a great example. Yeah, he yeah. came to him and he's like, well, in that moment, and I don't, I don't know 
too much about the scenario, but let's just pretend this is the way it is for the sake of the story. Right. Will knew that he messed up. Mm. So, I mean, you need to bring a a rod about the size of a toothpick into that scenario <laughs> because the rod in his head yeah. is big enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the, that's the other thing I think that we learn as we use both these tools mm. is sometimes you don't need a lot of one. Sometimes you don't need any of them. Yeah. But that's just, that's wisdom and you only learn through experience and insight in the moment, I suppose. You know, I think this is a nice uh, segue onto commitment, right? Um, I've been thinking a lot about commitment and how with commitment you're forced to acknowledge your, you know, to use Jungian words, shadow, or your difficulty, or in my case, say my lack of confrontation. With commitment, you're forced to acknowledge it. And with without commitment, you don't have to. You can kind of move. You, you, can, you can change your friend circle. Mm. You can change your job. You can, and I'm not saying these are, you know, sometimes there's valid reasons for all these things. But sometimes also, we're just running away from acknowledging the thing that is actually we need to acknowledge. And I think, like, to use Denzel like Denzel has a commitment to a career Denzel has a commitment to a practice commitment to a family and that kind of things those those commitments forced him to go alright there's I need to do this do you know and uh, one thing that I admire about you is your commitment like your <laughs> commitment to commitment um and I don't know if there's many people like me, you know, 27 and still not making huge commitments in their life. But I am trying to uh, trying, trying to make changes in that regard. But maybe it'd be nice to hear when when did when did that kind of bell ring for you? When, because, like you said, it, there's definitely it's not an accident. I mean, sometimes it's an accident for people. They fall into families or they fall into. But I get the impression it wasn't for you. So when was the time you said? Right, like I'm making these commitments and they're going to be difficult and I'm going to suffer, but I'm making the commitments. I think it's exactly what you said. I think it was the moment I realized that life is going to be impossibly hard no matter what way you do it. Yeah. Like no matter what way I slice this thing, it's going to be hard (laughs) as hell. So you may as well have a heart as hell that means something. Mm. And where have we as humans looked for meaning mm. from day dot? From day dot. It was through other people. Yeah. Through commitment to others. Yeah. And selfishly, I have no problem diving into my own selfishness because <laughs> it drives everything in my life. I'm just looking for reasons to get out of bed in the morning. Mm. I'm looking for things that when I go into a depressive episode, I have a reason Mm. for getting out of it. Like that's the protective and preventative utility Mm. of commitment.
for people saying, oh, I like that, man. All right. Um, but right now, it's hard. As in, like I look at you and I say, hey, this guy's running two successful podcasts. You know, he's, he's writing his PhD. You know, he's a family. You know, those are like, you're, you're using multiple hands to count the reasons to get out of bed in the morning. But sure, maybe there's a time when you were struggling for one. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? My whole teenage, my, almost all of my teenage years. Hmm. Every single one of them. And what was the, what was the, the initial, right, this is what I'm getting now? It was the small domino. Yeah. It was making a commitment mm-hmm. something small mm-hmm. that led to I wrote a short story one time mm-hmm. I'm going to go all artist on you for a second yeah give it to me man and it was about a little cup right? <laughs> a little tiny cup of tea okay and it wanted to be bigger it wanted to be better it wanted to, I don't know, something like, it wanted to be, say, like a boat or something, right? Okay. want to be this huge vessel that lots of other things could get into and serve and have value, okay? Okay. And it was in the kitchen and... It was crying to its mom and it was asking like all the forks and it was like, oh, like, you know, how do I do these things? I want to get out of this kitchen. I want to see the world. I want to, you know, become this big, big, big thing. And everyone was like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Don't talk about. Okay. And then in the corner of the room, there was this old pair of boots, like real rough and ready, like patched up leather boots. And it says, so you want to be bigger? Yeah. And the cup's like, hell Yeah. <laughs> Right. And the boots are like, you want to become valuable? You want to become useful? And the cup's like, yeah. And the boots are like, are you, would you do anything for that? And the cup's like, yeah. He says, okay, come with me. And the boots drag the cup outside and throws it in a ditch and throws a tarp over it and leaves it there all winter. Wow. And the cup's in there and it's in the darkness and it starts to cry. And it cries and it cries and it cries until it's right up to the brim and it's got no more tears left to cry. And then it freezes and then it thaws and then it freezes and then it thaws all winter. And the cup disappears in its mind. You know, it, it closes its eyes and doesn't wake up. Okay. And then a few months later, the boots come walking out. <laughs> And they, he rips off the tarp. And all of a sudden there's a big splash. And the cup kind of comes back. And the cup's like, what the heck? Uh-huh. And then there's another big splash. And then there's another big splash. And the cup feels really, really weird. And it's like looking around. And the cup sees all of these, I don't know, if it was the family of the house or the, the forks, or the knives or whatever, mm-hmm. all swimming around inside him. He's like, what the heck? And nobody recognizes him. 
And the cop realised that he turned into a swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> And he turned into a swimming pool because every time water freezes, it expands by 10%. And so that little tiny ceramic cup got stretched in ways that ceramic should never, ever be stretched. And in this weird mythical fable that's clearly unfinished and needs (laughs) tidied up and what are the boots and what's going on? Mm -hmm. But this cup was slowly stretched into a swimming pool. And I feel like that was the journey. The journey was bit by bit, your cup gets bigger. Bit by bit, your vessel gets stretched. And every time it does, it's incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. But you look back 10 years later and your little cup has turned into a bowl. Mm-hmm. And that bowl is maybe just big enough to fit you and your wife inside. Mm-hmm. And then 10 years later, maybe it's the size of a bath. And there's just enough room for a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. And then the Denzel theory is that you're like a small lake by the time you're 90. I think we can trademark the Denzel theory. (laughs) (laughs) I want Denz coming into the studio. (laughs) All right, man, this has been great. One last thing I wanted to ask you about. I was on the call with my friend, um, two weeks ago and he was talking about the difficulty with his with his partner and he says yeah it's really tough like it's really tough I mean I love her to absolute bits it's really tough because and, it is and I, yeah I, and he, he this is what he says he says he says but this is this is connection mm. and I never thought about connection like this before right I almost thought of I, I feel like we have connection right mm. and we haven't had so much conflict, right? I think that's relatively rare. Mm-hmm. But if we look at, say, with my dad or my sister or a lot of my good friends, there's been conflict upon conflict. Ex-girlfriends, conflict upon conflict. Yeah, but through us in a in a two up, two down in Belfast yeah. for 30 years and see what happens. Yeah, man. <laughs> man, throw us in a room together for two days. Yeah. You know, both of us are very agreeable. Yeah. We're very amicable. There's a lot of things about us that are similar. There's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of similarities. And so... You know, the mileage will vary. Yeah. But you spend enough time with somebody, it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And and I guess for me, I've been I've been I've been sitting on that. I've been sitting on the line between you acknowledging that it's difficult, and this is just this is just part and parcel of a commitment in a in a tight relationship, and you going, I don't. I can't, I don't know if I want, you know, I, I don't know if I can continue this. Yeah. I don't know if this is healthy. Yeah. I, I, like, I've, I'm sure you've thought about, like, I'm sure it's like coming for you where it's like there's difficulties, but how do I know for sure? Like, there's no, there's no question I'm leaving. There's no question that the connection is, is it, has there been a, th- a thing for you where you're, all right, I can delineate it in this way. Or has it? I think wrapped up in that question Mm -hmm. is a cultural belief that it's a flick of a switch Mm -hmm. and that one day you're on your honeymoon and you flick the switch and the next day one of you has had an affair (laughs) 
And the reality is it can feel like that if you're floating. Mm-hmm. So if you open your eyes and 20 years later you've had an affair, it can feel like a switch has been flicked. But the reality is it's been a slow, slow fade. And it's been a series of actions that has, have led to death mm. and not towards life. Mm. And the only way you can avoid that is by building in moments of reflection into your relationship and into your life to literally put your head above the water and take stock. Where are we? Mm. How are we doing? Mm. What's going on? There's a uh, something I often say to people is, Again, like this kind of like this image of, a, I don't know, let's say like a, an otter or a beaver okay. building a dam. Right. Right. And it's not like all of a sudden. It's the, built. It's built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one little stone, one little stone, one little trunk. I don't know what beavers used to build dams, clearly. <laughs> you got to do some more beaver research. <laughs> I got I to watch some YouTube videos <laughs> You got to get in there, man. Beavers building dams. <laughs> But for this, you know, for the sake of the metaphor, it's a little tiny, 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 tiny pebble. And it's just dropped in. And you don't notice. Mm-hmm. The water's still flowing. The passion's ripping through. Mm-hmm. Everything's great. Peace. It's all great. And then another wee pebble. Grand. No issue. Ten more pebbles. Literally all good. Sixty more pebbles. Doesn't mean anything to me. Ten years. Yeah. And ten thousand pebbles. And the water stopped flowing. Mm. And so practically there is a communication tool mm. that is rooted in non-violent and communication. communication. Yes. And the way it was taught to me, the word it was uh, described as was called clearing. Oh, I like that. And I use clearing with that story to say all clearing is, is just dealing with those pebbles. And I know couples who clear every single night when they get into bed. And they're literally just like, James, honey, is there anything that you need to clear with me? And you'll turn around and you'll say, yeah. See, whenever I put the bowl in the dishwasher <laughs> and you came after me and you corrected it, it really annoyed me because it made me feel like you don't trust me enough or think I'm competent enough mm. to load a dishwasher. And that really emasculated me in that moment. Mm. And you do it in a very light and a very jokey way. It's not delivered seriously. And because you do it all the time, it's no big deal. And that's not the way you're supposed to do it. There's a a step-by-step process people Uh can Google. And it's literally like, uh, number one, what are the facts? So there's no emotion involved. And you're like, the fact of the situation is, is that I put a bowl in the dishwasher and you moved the bowl. That's the fact, Okay. Number two, how did that make me feel? That made me feel, and then everything that I said. Third thing is, what do I want from you? And the fourth thing is, or the fifth thing, are you prepared to give that to me? Mm. And the answer to the last question, regardless of whether it's yes or no, you've cleared so you've addressed that pebble. It's you've made you've said your words, you've articulated your point of view, and if the answer is, let's say the ask is like, I would appreciate if you didn't come up behind me, 
and correct my dishwashing work? And if the answer is no, I can't, then again, to the two columns, you have a decision. Do I just let go and be comfortable with the fact that my spouse will come and correct how I put things in the dishwasher for the rest of our lives? Or do I decide that this is a fight and I double down on this and we go again? And 99% of the time, it doesn't even get to that point. Mm. Because either of you will see how petty and stupid it is. But the beautiful thing is, the things that are worth fighting over, you need to fight. You need to fight. Mm. Because what if instead of asking you to not correct the way you put a bowl in the dishwasher, it was, I need you to stop watching porn I need you to stop spending our money Mm. and even need is the wrong word but like my ask of you is to stop drinking alcohol my ask of you is to go and see a marriage counsellor because those things are worth fighting over Two things that came to mind was one, I often think I just finished watching the True Detective season one again. I don't know if you've seen it. It's unbelievable. But the, the character of Woody, uh, his wife reflects in like one of the later episodes. She's like, the problem with Woody's character is that he just doesn't know what he wants. And I think I think a lot of us know what frustrates us, but maybe we don't know what we want to counteract that frustration or counteract that thing, you know, like. Can I give you another really quick story? Yeah, please. I love stories, man. My, um, one of my best friends in New York, I lived in New York for several years. And before we got married, he's been married forever. And he gave me, he says, I was asking people, you know, I was doing the classic young man thing. Give me one piece of marriage advice. Give me your best (laughs) piece of marriage advice. (laughs) Tools of tightening my marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, look, here's the best piece of advice. And it's don't stress over the peach wallpaper. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, you've clickbaited at me. (laughs) Go on. Right. And he said, you know my style. I like plain. I like black. I like chrome. That's my vibe. I came home one day and my wife had put peach wallpaper all over the living room. And I was ready to murder. He was like, I was like on a, like 100 out of 100. <laughs> and he was waiting for his wife to come home from work. And he was preparing the speech. He was ready to, you know, absolutely rip through. And he went and he sat in the toilet and it just hit him. And he's like, I don't care. He's like, actually, I do not care in the slightest what color the walls are in our living room. And he literally let it go. And he's like, look, you're going to have a lot of fights in your marriage. Make sure that they're worth it. Mm-hmm. And all the time now, I'm like, do I care about the peach wallpaper? Mm-hmm. And it's helpful because it, all, it really shows you when you genuinely do. This is not a be passive and accept everything. This yeah, is like, yeah. no, 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 no. 
figure out the moments that you are really, really, really ready to fight for. Yeah. Because if you don't do that, it's all rod. It's all staff yeah. and no rod. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And the thing that I thought about when your mate is sitting in the toilet was actually I don't care about the peach paper or the peach wallpaper but I do care about what it represents and it represented perhaps the fact that I wasn't consulted on something in the house 100% yeah and I think that's that's so crucial right 100% that we'll flip out over the thing yeah. and we don't even know why we're angry about it it's never <laughs> it's never the wallpaper it's never the wallpaper <laughs> You know, no man. Listen, this has been fantastic, um, man. We always end the Earthy Delights podcast asking our guests how do they keep on top of their mental health or how do they take care of their mental health. I know we've kind of just strictly talk about mental health for like, but is there something or is there a few things that you go? All right, let, recently this has been helping me. This has been helping me. In 15,000 words or less. <laughs> <laughs> I'll circle back. There's a lot of things I could introduce here, yeah. but I don't think it's helpful. Okay, so I'll okay. circle back. Cool. Create a program and work the program. If you have an ongoing... Okay, particularly if you have an ongoing disorder that you're aware of, mm -hmm. if you have chronic depression, if you have a generalized anxiety disorder, if you have bipolar something that gives you grief consistently mm -hmm. over a long period of time, you need to have the mindset of someone in recovery and you need to live like you're in AA. And because it's not just one thing, like giving up alcohol like AA is, yeah. there's going to be a lot of complexity in there. Yeah. You got to figure out what that looks like, but you need to create a community of people that can hold you accountable that force you to be open and honest about what's going on consistently that you cannot wiggle out of. Yeah. You need to create your meetings, right? And then the second thing is you need to create your 12 steps. And your 12 steps can be three steps, seven steps. Steve Alardi, <laughs> great book called The Depression Cure. Yep. He has a six-step program, great place to start. But you need to be working a program. You need to build in moments to reflect how this program is working for you. Write it down, keep it in your bedside drawer, Get a binder. Go legit with it and leave space for notes every time you go into the belly of the beast. It's a learning experience. Mm. And you come back up and you write in the notes section, this is what I learned. This is what I could do better next time. These are things I can implement. That level of curiosity, that level of optimization, dare I say, because you want to get to the place where you can put your head on the pillow and say, I'm working the program. Yeah. And if it comes, it comes. And in that as well, it's just radical grace for yourself because, you know, you're going to skip a workout. You're a flawed human, man. You're going to skip a vitamin D supplement. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's hey, going to happen. Man, that's at the top end of the scale. Yeah. Let's, let's go bottom, like, you know, you might forget to have the water in the morning. Yeah. You might forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. Yeah. And, you know, it's that rod and that staff, bro, yeah. is when you are in a safe and clear position, mm -hmm. you can bring out the rod and you can objectively say, 
here are some, you can confront actions that you took in the past. You say, here are some things that were not a good idea. I should not have got absolutely blitzed that weekend because I know that alcohol is bad for my mental health. And I know I was at a wedding, but something to consider for the future would be not getting blitzed, right? And you give yourself staff in the moment. And the biggest thing is, you know, you will absolutely mess up and you will absolutely fall, but you needed the rod and the staff to get back up again. You need the commitments in your life to get you out of bed. You need the commitments to make sure that you're going for a run every single week. And as much as you can outsource your willpower <laughs> to the community and to the environment, you know, if you only see your best friend every Monday at seven o'clock to go for a run, and you do that every single week, you're not going to skip your run. Mm. You know, so you, 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 you remove the ability to not do the stuff because you're fallible as much as possible. And then for the moments that you do mess up, you know, it's the rod and the staff that will get you out of there and get you out of there as soon as possible. Yeah. Because like, you're going to have three days where you fall off the grid sometimes, you know? You're going to have times where it's possible that months are going to go by. Mm. But it's the rod and staff that's going to get you out of there as soon as possible. And the last thing I will say is, and I say this every time I have the opportunity to talk anywhere, is the big hack that changed everything is a drug that I started taking called... No, my joke. <laughs> <laughs> Available at selected stores. $400. <laughs> uh, but man, just very quickly, I think this came unbelievably full circle about we're talking about the giving ourselves... Give compassion, but also be stern and open the conflict. And that starts being, being that to ourselves. Yeah. And I, we didn't even mention that, but I think that, but you mentioned at the end, I think that's nice to just re-highlight. Oh, that's, I'm glad you said that because yeah. the whole time that's where I was. Oh, okay, sorry. The rod and the staff were inside my own brain. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. like that's, that's where it has to be. Has to start there. Oh, right? bro. Like you, it's, it's not possible to do it any other way. So, but the, the actual hack, are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, it's a metaphor. Boo. <laughs> We, we don't. We sick of your metaphors. We, we want drugs. We want drugs. <laughs> Have the money. <laughs> Literally, just fix the thing. Okay, so uh, you know yourself. Things you've walked through, you feel like you're. You can be walking around in a circle, mm -hmm. stuck in a loop, stuck in a you know groundhog day over and over and over and over and over again. I lived decade like that, and uh, I realized that through the rod and the staff, I've never once verbalized it. Like this until today, by the way. But you've given me a nice little meme to, to play with for now. Uh, it doesn't have to be two-dimensional. And what I mean by that is, imagine you take that circle and you turn it into a spiral staircase. Okay. You're still going round and round, uh -huh. but you're moving up or you're moving down. Mm. People talk about spiraling out of control. You can spiral into control. Mm. This is the domino theory just repackaged. I you like can that. spiral upwards. And the, but the important thing is every time you go through it, you redeem it by learning something, you know, it's the hero going into the bellies of the beast mm -hmm. and going into the darkest cave and coming out with the treasure, you know, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. Yeah. And 
there's two ways to go into the cave. You can go in and close your eyes and kick and scream until someone else drags you out. Or you can go in and you can face the dragon. You can get burnt. You can get your ass handed to you. But you can get out of that with a little bit of treasure. And it might only be like one little tiny gold piece. But even better, it's a little tiny golden domino. And it's, <laughs> and it's the little thing that you were missing in your system. And now you've got the domino that will help everything else fall into place. Or at least make that system more resilient. Or at least make it more beneficial. Or at least make it a 1% more potent or powerful or whatever. And that is what spiraling upwards looks like. And I'm still spiraling. And there are moments where I fall down 10 stairs at once. And it takes me months to get back to that point. But I can tell you, dude, over... If you look at my life on the macro level, right. it's spiraling upwards. And yeah, man, I can see it. if you ask me who I am, like, I'm trying. In lots of different domains in my life, I'm someone who's trying. And that's all you can do. That's all you can do, man. Thanks for sharing, man. Pleasure. I loved it, man. Deadly. Yeah. Oh, man, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. I have no idea what time it is.